Morning. Morning. I'm Bill. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I can I can count on Marilee to light up a room with, with her energy and excitement. Thank you. Did feel awfully quiet when I got up here. So uh, I'm really glad to be with you. Like Pastor Cameron said, uh, he's in Vandalia because he's not here. So I am here, and I'm excited to share with you um, what God's put on my heart. Um, we are doing. It's a little echoey. Anyway, we're doing a year-long series this year on the core values of the church, which is very exciting. Uh, I'm very into it. I hope you are too. Um, What are the core values of the church, you may say? Well, good question. Um, They're summed up in the acronym FIRE, F-I-R-E. F is Father Heart, I is Intimacy, R is Restoration, and E is Extending the Kingdom. So we're in the middle of this Father Heart part of the year. And this message is about God's heart as a father. So it's going to be really good. And uh, yeah, I hope you've been enjoying this so far. So today we're going to talk about the parable of the prodigal son. We're going to dig into it um, kind of on the cultural level. Maybe a little academic angle at it. But really it's all to reveal to us uh, what God's heart is like. How he feels about you what his perspective is, and uh, to line up our perspective with his, to see him for who he is. Um, There we go. So these are some questions I hope you're asking yourself already as we go through the series, Um, and I hope you'll continue to ask yourself these kind of questions. Um, I think they're really important. Um, You know, what is God like as a father? Some of you may have asked yourself that question a lot and maybe peeled off layers of that onion and, and trying to figure that out. I just encourage you to go to the next level. Some of you maybe have never even thought about that question um, or pondered it. So I encourage you to ask yourself that question. uh, Engage with it for the first time maybe. Um, But whatever level you're at, let's go deeper with the Lord. Um, You know, what preconceived notions do I have about God as Father or about fathers in general? What am I bringing to the table? You know, the next question I put up there is, what is what earthly father filter am I looking at God through? You know, that's kind of the concept, is what, what experiences in my life do I have that are maybe coloring how I look at God, um, changing the way I see Him versus how He really is, just based on my experience? Um, that's a good thing to get into. As you get into it, you start to realize, oh man, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you were like this, and that's not how you are, and now I can see you for who you are, and all of a sudden you get this deeper relationship with the Lord, and that's what this is all about. Um, and then how do I relate to him as a son or daughter? You know, it's, it's kind of tied into that. If I see God as a certain way, you know, if I see him as demanding, then I relate to him as a son trying to satisfy a demanding father. You know, if I see him as loving and kind, then I relate to him as a son who's accepted and loved, and that's a whole different world. So whatever it is, I just encourage you to dig into the deep recesses of your heart and mind and get into that. Um, And if you've done that, look in another corner. In my experience, you go deeper every time you you peel back the layers of the onion, the the layers of your heart, or open another door, you know. And just this morning during worship, this is bonus material here, um, that's not on the slide. (laughs) You know, I felt like... um, when Chrissy came up and was talking about that song and God singing it to us, you know, and being intimate with the Lord, you know, I was like, man, have you ever had that moment where you just feel a little uncomfortable looking someone in the eye and you kind of look away just a little bit? You know what I mean? And like, we do that with God too, you know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, 
there's this like intimate time of worship or there's this topic that comes up and I just kind of look away from him. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that feels gross or that feels uncomfortable. I don't want to go there. <laughs> and what are we doing, you know? What, where does that lead? Okay, so you don't feel uncomfortable anymore, but there's a reason that it feels uncomfortable. You know what I mean? It feels uncomfortable because there's maybe a wound in my heart or there's junk in the way or I've built up a wall between me and God because of my experiences. Asking these questions, hopefully the prodigal son, which we will get to, um, will reveal what God's like and you'll feel comfortable bringing yourself to Him, bringing your heart to Him and saying, all right, God, have your way. You know, Again, like, worship, like we were saying in worship. Um, so I encourage you to do that. You'll have time to respond at the end of service. You can pray with the prayer team and go deeper and you can take what we're going to talk about with you and do that. So I hope you will. I hope you will throughout the series on the Father Heart and the whole year on the core values. It's going to be great. The next core value is intimacy, so it'll lead right in. All right, let's dig into it. So, like I said, we're going to look at some cultural elements of the story of the prodigal son. Um, my main source here, I'm going to quote them all over the place, so I'm just going to give it to you up front, rather than footnoting every slide or something like that. Um, didn't want to make it too academic. We'll keep it fun. We'll keep it light. Right? Loosey-goosey. It's all good. <laughs> so the source is a, a book called Poet and Peasant by Kenneth E. Bailey. Um, I wanted to know whether this Ken Bailey guy was for real, so I asked Graham and he said he is, so I'm going with it, all right? <laughs> Hopefully that's good enough for you guys too. It's good enough for me. It's like, hey Graham, is this guy good to go? And he said, sure. So that's close enough. All right, so I'm going to sum it up. Luke 15, verses 11 through 24 tell the story of the prodigal. I'm guessing a lot of you have heard it. If not, this is a summary to kind of work through it, but then we're going to break down verse by verse. We're going to look at all sorts of stuff. So the summary is, Father has two sons. He lives in a village, probably agricultural. You know, Jesus' time. He's, he's telling the parable, so it's um, current days, Jesus' days, if you will. And uh, the younger son asks for his inheritance. He says, hey, Dad, give me my inheritance. I want it now. And then off he goes. He moves far away uh, with the money that he gets from selling off inheritance. And he wastes the wealth on reckless living. He finds himself without any wealth left. A severe, van severe, yeah, that's a hard one. severe famine strikes the land that he's in, and he's feeding pigs. He is not doing well, and he's hungry. Um, so he plans a return. Um, he's going to go back. He's going to work for his father. And, uh, and then in the end of the story, I'm going to give it away. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Plug ears if you don't want to hear the end yet. The father restores him to relationship and celebrates his return. And that's the story of the younger son. We're going to focus on that part. We'll touch on the older a bit, but if you want more on the older, then come to second service. No, that's just kidding. <laughs> All right. So the younger son. In the beginning, he says, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So what does that mean in the culture? Let's dig into it a bit. <clears throat> so that means crazy talk. That's what that means. <laughs> for a son to ask a living father for his inheritance is crazy talk. Um, that w it wasn't done. It's not heard of. Um, the, not only does a father not give inheritance while he's still alive, it's something that's done on death typically, but the son never initiates it. And especially never initiates the disposition, which means the actual execution of the will kind of thing, the actual giving out of the funds, right? They're kind of rare occasions, and the book gets all academic. Graham will love it. I did too. I'm just kidding, Graham. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, actually executing the will while he's alive, this is craziness, right? It's equal to saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want the money, and I want it now. Because <clears throat> i got a better plan than living with you, uh, you know, here raising goats and whatnot. All right? So uh, Ken Bailey, our good buddy, gives us this kind of like hypothetical talk. You know, he's, he's lived in the culture. He's talked to people, you know, of present day culture trying to figure out what the past culture was like. And he kind of rebuilds this conversation. So if you were to walk up to someone who lived in this uh, prodigal son's culture and you said, Hey, has everyone, anyone ever made a request like this in your village? That person would say, Never. Okay, so could anyone ever make a request like this? Inconceivable. It's a Princess Bride reference. All right. So if anyone did, what would happen? Uh, his father would beat him, of course. <laughs> and why is that? Because it means he wants his father to die. All right. So I, I kind of put that all in there to lay it out. All right. We get it. The son is doing something crazy. Like I said, crazy talk. So how does the father respond? You know, here's our first glimpse into God's father heart. How does the father in the the parable respond? He divided to the sons his livelihood. All right, so he is jeopardizing his own living by granting this request, right? He's taking his living, his livelihood, splitting it up, giving off half to this, this guy who wants nothing to do with him and wants him dead. Um, so he sees that. Okay, you're going to take away half of my provision and security. You wish me dead. Here you go. What a great love that is already. We're two sentences into the story. This is craziness. All right, so God expresses a great love in that way. All right? He's expected to explode with anger, discipline the son. You know, that would be the expected cultural response of a father. But instead, what a great love is shown that is willing to let himself be rejected. All right? And so we see the son gets his inheritance, the father grants that request and shows him love, and the son winds up with three broken relationships. I'm going to kind of lay them out here, and then we'll kind of come back to each in a minute. Um, obviously, the relationship with the father is broken. I wish you were dead. That's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. The relationship with the brother is broken as well. Um, the older brother is kind of expected to step into this situation and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, young guy, whippersnapper. You can't do that, you know. Stay put, we'll work this out. And the, the brother is supposed to be a reconciler. It's kind of typical in the cultural for a third party to come and be the mediator between two men who are having differences, particularly within the family. All right, so there's broken relationship with the brother. The brother's not willing to do that. Um, and then with the entire village community, all right, so the son gets his inheritance. I'm sure some of it is spendable, some of it is not. And he's going around saying, hey, we buy this from me. I need some money. I'm, I'm skipping town. So the whole village is going, wow, this, this kid wished his dad dead and now he wants me to buy the stuff off of him? So everybody hates him. They're disgusted with him. Alright, so that kind of lays out the situation. Let's keep moving. Alright, so let's fast forward. The son spends it all. He's swallowing with pigs, feeding pigs for a foreigner in a foreign land. And uh, it's bleak. It's very bleak. He doesn't have enough to eat. He's hungry. And it's getting desperate. And we pick it up in verse 17. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. <clears throat> and so we see that the son comes up with a plan. 
All right, this is not a plan to restore relationship. This is not a plan for reconciliation. It's a plan to prevent starvation, plain and simple. Times are desperate, and you know it says in there, he came to himself. It's like a realization. It's not like, oh, I'm going to repent for my ways. It's like, this is desperate. I need to do something about it. So we kind of look at the hired servant part of the, of the plan, and it's not like a slave. He's not going to like enslave himself to his father and be a slave in the household, but he wants to be a free man. He wants to be hired casually by his father. He wants to live separately and have this like arm's length business relationship with his father, which again is uh, not repentance. So kind of in the culture, you look at like hired servants, what are they? There's maybe a couple of kinds. There's like the skilled tradesmen, the carpenters, maybe a metal worker, that sort of thing. There's also unskilled laborers. Um, you know, day workers, there are other parables that talk about that sort of thing. But both categories are basically equal, according to Bailey, and I'll go with it in the book. Um, neither category is really considered socially inferior to the employer. You know, that's something that I always kind of thought, like, oh, he's going to come back as this low man, you know, kind of enslave himself. I was so wrong, you know, take me in at the lowest level. But he's not really exactly saying that. He's kind of saying, hey, I'm a man, you're a man. Times are desperate for me. Why don't you hire me and I can offer you something and you can pay me for it. So, remember the broken relationship with the father. Broken relationship number one. Here's the son's plan for dealing with that. Alright, I'm going to save face. I'm going to come back as an independent man. This even suggests the possibility of repaying his debt by his own means. Right. So, in short, he will save himself. He wants no grace. Um, the verse can even be translated, if you, depending on how you look at it, as a command from son to father. He kind of says, fashion out of me a workman. Hey, Dad, here's what you're going to do. <laughs> you're going to hire me, you're going to pay me, and I'm going to live separate from you, and here's how it's going to work. So this is not true repentance, like I said. It's not seeking restoration. It's not seeking reconciliation. Um, it's a whole other kind of deal. All right, so then, how's he going to deal with his brother? Right? So his plan preempts the need for reconciliation with the brother. Right? If he came back into his father's house and was cared for by his father, lived there, partook of the food, lived in the house, all of that sort of thing, he's actually taking part of his brother's share, right? He's taking his own half and it's gone and it's spent. And now he's taking from his brother's. So to do that kind of requires being cool with your brother again. Like, hey, Aaron, I'm coming back. I'm going to eat your food, live in your house. Is that cool? He's like, no way, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm going to live separate. All right? And then he has the broken relationship with the community. He's really got no plan for that part. He's like, all right, I've got to face that head on. Two out of three ain't bad, especially in baseball, so let's go with it. All right? So that's what we're looking at. All right, so let's see what the father's plan is. The son comes back. He's got this plan all worked out. And what does the father do? In verse 20, he arose, came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So, we see first that the father had compassion, right? All of that stuff about the son and his plan and the culture of blah, blah, blah is the background to get to this. What is the father like? You know what I mean? He had compassion, first of all. He saw his son coming from far away and had compassion. He understood what the son was facing in returning to the village. And the first thing he senses is compassion. I think that's really important. And we'll dig into it more as we keep going on here. So what is the significance of the running part of this? You know, the father ran to him. 
Does it show love? He's excited? What, what is it all about? Alright, so picture me, a father in an agricultural village in Jesus' day or whatever, right? Wearing like a robe kind of deal. If I got a robe on, how do I run? You know what I mean, ladies, in a dress? How, do you, how could you run in a dress? Okay, don't do this, ladies, but you got to hike it up, right? <laughs> you got to hike up a robe to run. And, and what is that? That's a bit awkward. That's a bit humiliating, in fact. And if you dig into it further, you find out the men of stature don't run. Um, there's all these great quotes in the book um, about you know, uh, how a man of stature would never do that, how it's really humiliating. You can tell a lot about a man by the way he walks and carries himself. People believe that even today. Um, so here we see the father has compassion. And what does he do? He humiliates himself. And he understood what the son was coming into, this angry village. You know, angry mob mentality is what he's going to come back to. And the father runs that gauntlet of humiliation for the son. You know, he draws a crowd. Imagine seeing something that is really out of the ordinary. A man of stature running through the village. Everybody's going to go, whoa, what's going on? And they're going to come out to see, right? So the father has humiliated himself. He's had compassion. He's humiliated himself. Come down out of the house, run to the son in humiliation, and gathered a crowd to see it. All right, this must be important. What's going on here? Right? So the quote says, The father makes the reconciliation public at the edge of the village. Thus his son enters the village under the protective care of the father's acceptance. That is pretty cool. That is significant. All of that out of the word running. Good stuff. Clickety-click, click. Maybe you can help me out, Emily. It's not going. Have I tried turning it off and back on again? No, good question. All right, moving on. The significance of kissing, right? So he has compassion, he runs to him, and then he starts kissing him. So when a serious quarrel has taken place in the village and reconciliation is achieved, a part of the ceremony enacted as a sacrament of reconciliation is a public kiss by the leading men involved. Alright, so that's the next part of the Father's plan. He runs out and he kisses him. What is he showing to the crowd that showed up to see the scene of the running man? Moi. We're reconciled. Hey everybody, we're reconciled. So before the son speaks a word, the father shows that and shows it to everyone. Wow, it's getting better and better. <laughs> so I want to pause. We'll keep going with the story, but what is this story telling us about the father so far? You know, it shows the love that the father has even in the face of rejection at the very beginning. I wish you were dead. Here's your inheritance. You know, it shows that he understands our circumstance, the way that he's making a way for the son to come back into the village under his care and showing that reconciliation. He understands the circumstance. He has compassion and he acts on it. Um, and he initiates reconciliation. This is good stuff. I'm digging it. I don't know about you. So, like, what are God's priorities? What's going on? What's most important to him so far in the story? Restoration. Relationship. That's what we're seeing so far. So, more priority stuff. Like, he is faced with sin, right? His son wished him dead and he comes back. What might you expect at that moment? A lecture? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, would we expect the Father to lecture us so we learn from our mistakes? We might expect that, but that's not what he does. That's not how he is. 
You know, what about waiting for the son to have the first word to make the, the first step to make amends? We might expect that, but that's not what he does. What about saving face? You know, is the father concerned with saving face, looking good in front of everybody, you know, maintaining his uh, position or, or uh, you know, how people view him in the village? That's not important to him at all. There's no lecture. There's no strings attached. There's no hint of pride or reminder of, hey, do you know who I am? There's only this expression of love and an offer of relationship, which blows me away. It's really, really good. And I wanted to read to you something. Let me get my notes straight here. So I was pre- preparing for today's message um, a while ago, and you know, God just shared with me something, and I was journaling it out, and I want to read it to you because I thought it was good. He said, I desire a relationship with each one. I desire for them to find complete fulfillment in my house. My heart is to reconcile and restore broken relationships. There are no lectures with me. There are no speeches about what you've done wrong. That's earthly thinking, driven by ego and selfish motives. I waste no time on such fruitless talk. I invest in reconciliation, and I drive it all back to relationship. You know, I thought that was so good. I mean, that's what I'm getting out of the story, and then... You know, God spoke it right to me in in prepping for this. I thought that was great. Um, All right, so let's keep moving on. So how does the son, back to the prodigal, how does he respond to such a great love? The funny thing is his speech changes. You know, in the verse we read earlier, he's got this whole prepared speech that he comes up with when he hatches the plan. But he leaves out a part at the end, the part about being fashioned into a hired worker. I don't know if you ever noticed that before. Something I missed. So he leaves out the part about being separate, being independent, earning his way back, repaying his debt, all of that stuff. And we see the quote in, in the book again, is repentance finally turns out to be the capacity to forego pride and accept graciousness. Right? Ha! Ha! So in my words, <laughs> instead of the quote from the book, of how the the son responds to such a great love is this. My plans are shot, Dad. You've undone me. I finally get it. You want relationship. I see I'm unworthy. I can't earn it. So I just accept it. Whew. That is good. I can barely handle it. All right. Another thing, another piece of journaling from (laughs) sermon prep time that I wanted to share with you. Um... You know, God told me repentance is not hearing out a lecture, uh, a lecturing authority figure and saying you're sorry. Being in relationship shows repentance. Being in relationship shows that you no longer choose fulfillment apart from me, and that's enough. I've made the way. There's no atonement to be paid by the individual. Just be with me. You know, so true. Jesus made our atonement. It's already done. So what's left? You know? Like like the other one said, God's not wasting time on lecturing us. It's fruitless. That's like our way of thinking. He's like, let's just start relationship together. That is repentance. If you're doing relationship with me, that's repentance. You know? You don't have to like whip yourself and like <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not what it's about. He doesn't want that. He wants you to spend time with him. So all the whipping, that's just more time you gotta lay in bed and heal up. What a waste. Alright. Let's keep going. If you do that, it works. 
Alright, so uh, what does the Father do when we accept grace? Alright, He's shown this great, amazing love to the Son. He's extended grace. The Son ends up accepting it. And the Father says to His servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on Him, put a ring on His hand and sandals on His feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my Son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Alright, so we're going to break down the parts of this. Can you break it down for me one time? Are you still with me? We're digging in. Just want to make sure you're still there. Alright, so the robe symbolizes acceptance. Alright, the Father's best robe, right? It says best robe. That's a quote from the verse. This is what the Father wears to grand occasions in, in the community, right? When, uh, you know, your neighbor's daughter is getting married... You put on your best robe, you know, your suit and tie, your tux, and you go to the party, right? Someone, you know, some governor's coming in from out of town and you're going to host him. You put on the best robe. All right, so everyone in the village knows the best robe. They've seen the dad in it. They know it's a special robe. So it demonstrates to all that he's accepted, right? We're going to see they're about to throw a party. So he says, put the robe on him. Show everybody that I've accepted my son. You know, if you want a template for this, think of Joseph in the Old Testament. He was the favored son of, of his dad and he had the special robe, the technicolor dream coat, if you will. Right? And it showed he was accepted. He was loved. He was favored. Alright, the ring. Right? So this is kind of like authority to act on behalf of the Father. You know, if you think of like the signet rings in the stories of the Old Testament, when a king is like enacting a law or sending a message out to the far-flung parts of the empire, he seals it with his ring that says, this is from me, this is what I want done. So the father puts the ring on his son's finger and it shows a great trust in the son. Anything that the son does is from the father. He speaks on my behalf. You know, in this case, I think of Jesus. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, Jesus says. And that's kind of the template here. You know, the Son can represent the Father. He's fully accepted. And beyond that, He's trusted with the Father's business. Wow. So the sandals. This, is a, this shows that He's not a slave. I used servant in the slide. I wish I would have put slave. But, you know, He's a free man. He's a son in the house. He's not a slave. Um, again, it's a cultural thing. This... this the household kind of slaves and servants wouldn't be wearing sandals. But the Father says, put sandals on His feet because He's a son. Again, it shows acceptance. It demonstrates His position in the house. And then there's the fatted calf, right? This says we're inviting the whole village, right? This isn't a goat, you guys. This is a fatted calf. Not just a calf, it's a fat one, all right? <laughs> Right, so this shows great joy in the restoration. The father is pleased and excited about what is going on here, about his son being restored. He was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. Let's party. And again, he's reconciling the son to the community. He put the robe of acceptance, the ring, the sandals, blah, 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 ran out and kissed him. And they said, bring everybody in. When these people come back from the fields from work, the ones who haven't seen it already, they're coming over to party and they're going to see that my son is accepted and he's going to be restored to the community. So, not only does the Father restore our relationship with Him, but He restores our relationship with the whole community, the community of believers, you know, um, and, and with the brother as well. So everyone's going to have a chance to see Him. And Yeah, I said that one. Let's keep moving. All right, so the older, sto the older son's story 
leaves us hanging. We're just going to touch on the older son. I won't do the whole thing. Don't worry. I know you might be hungry for donuts. I am too. And we'll get there. <clears throat> so like uh, these parables are like parabolic. If you're a math nerd or engineer like me, that means something to you. If not, maybe it doesn't. Parabolic is like the curve that starts and ends kind of the same way. Like this or like that. Depends on if it's a positive or negative coefficient. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I hope I said that right. I was bragging about it. I might have got it wrong. So anyway, the stories are parabolic, right? The younger son has this story where it starts off, I wish you were dead, and it ends with the party, right? Like the full spectrum is run, and at the end is like the resolution. Everybody loves a movie that ends right. <clears throat> I do anyway. I don't know about you. Those sad, like, leave you hanging endings. They're artsy, but man, come on. <laughs> All right, so the older brother's relationship with the father was also broken. And we don't have time to dig into, like, all the details of that. But remember, he didn't reconcile his brother and his dad. And then when the party starts and he comes back from the fields, he doesn't go in and join. So he has broken relationship too. And in fact, if you dig into the Bailey book, um, there's, there's a lot going on there. You know, he, <clears throat> he is just as separated from the father as the other son. And that's kind of the point. Jesus was talking to Pharisees when he said these stories, these parables. And he, he's kind of calling them out right there. He's like, hey, even though the older son stayed in the house, didn't run away, didn't squander all the, the inheritance, he had broken relationship too. And then Jesus leaves the story hanging at the end. We don't find out whether the older son accepts the grace, accepts the relationship, and comes into the house for the party. You know, so, so it leaves us asking, did he accept? Did he enter the feast? And we're left hanging on purpose, so we'll ask ourselves that question. Will I accept the Father's love? You know, will I be restored to relationship? So I want to leave you with that. Um, and Marilee's going to come and lead us in a little bit more response time. Thanks. Daniel, can you come and play? Wow, what a, a cool message about his love for us. Let's just, let's just close our eyes and um, just reflect on the words and the, the heartbeat that was behind the words of what was spoken today and have some time to respond. Father, we just thank you for revealing to us who you really are that that you are a father that loves us that understands our circumstances you are a father that grants freedom no matter what we do you grant us freedom you're a father who offers compassion and is just full of compassion when you see us. And um, you're a father that's willing to be humiliated. You don't care about what you would have to go through in order to get us, to, to um, come to us, to be with us. Thank you that you're a father that initiates that reconciliation. You don't wait around and uh, make us make the first move you're just willing to make that first move 
And thank you that you're full of joy and excitement about us and just ready to celebrate your relationship with us. Thank you, Father. You just love us so much.